Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The author al-Hajjawi, may Allah have mercy upon him, he brings us to the chapter, Bab Sifatul Salah, the chapter pertaining to the description of the prayer. And we know that this is one of the most important chapters in fiqh for us, and the hearts and the souls, they want to learn about this, and we want to give it importance and try to review from time to time and learn new matters from time to time to increase our value and our enjoyment of the worship, this great act of worship of Salah. So Malik ibn Hawairith, as mentioned in Bukhari, he said that the Prophet وسلم, said, Sallu kama usalli. Pray as you have seen me pray. So the believer in his journey towards Allah he wants to try to learn step by step more and more how the Prophet prayed so that he can act upon this hadith of Malik ibn Hawairith and gain more and more reward. When one goes to the salah, one should from that moment of leaving towards the masjid start to prepare spiritually and mentally for the salah. So for example in Bukhari and Muslim the Prophet said, if you hear the iqama, then walk in a situation of having sakina upon you. Sakina is tranquility whereby you are not making much movements. You are calm. And waqar is that you are lowering your gaze and thinking about where you are going. And do not rush, the Prophet said. So that which you catch with the Imam, then pray with the Imam. And that which you miss with the Imam, you make it up. So the Prophet is telling us that even before you get to the act of worship of the Salah, you start to think and you behave in a different manner to the rest of your day. You have sakina upon you, which we said is tranquility, and you have waqar, which is that you are lowering your gaze and being in a silent state. So the Prophet ﷺ in this narration, he said, if you hear the, iqi, the iqama, then don't rush to the salah. Now, is this itlaqan? Is this in all cases? Or are there some exceptions? What do you think? The Prophet said, if you hear the iqama, don't rush. Walk with the sakina and waqar. Are there any exceptions to this? The ulama, they say, if the person is sure that by rushing a little bit, he will catch the takbirat al-ihram, the first takbirah, which has much virtue. Or it will be a situation that he will catch the imam before the jama'ah finishes, which has virtue also. So in situations like this, he's allowed to rush a little bit as mentioned by Sheikh Hamad al-Hamad in his explanation. But it should never be the case, and sadly we find this to be the case, it shouldn't be the case that the man whom it's obligatory upon to pray in jama'ah, he's always late. So you find people always being late to the Salat al-Jama'ah. Imam Tirmidhi collects, narrates, and Sheikh al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala said it's authentic, from Anas radiyallahu anhu who said, Man salla lillahi arba'ina yawman, Jama'atin, Yudriku Takbirat al Ula, Kutibat Lahu Baraatan, 
Anas radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet said, whoever prays 40 days for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, catching the first takbira, min takbirat al-ihram, the first Allahu Akbar of the salah, in every salah, then it is written for him that he's free from two things, free from the fire and free from nifaq, free from hypocrisy. Why? Because the person is giving so much importance to meet Allah in the salah, to be there on time, to ensure that he leaves everything behind for the sake of this act of worship. Not, okay, the karma's gone, now I can get ready, now I can take my time. No. From the time of the adhan, you are thinking about getting ready for the salah. The person, as he's going to the masjid, we said, he's preparing his mind and his state spiritually. So he starts to make dua to Allah as he's walking to the masjid. Allahumma ij'al fi qalbi nur. Okay? This narration that we all know. Oh Allah, put in my heart nur. Wa fi lisani nur. Wa fi sam'i nur. Wa fi basari nur. And in my tongue, light. And in my hearing, light. And in my sight, light. Wa min khalfi nur. Wa min fawqi nur. And from behind me, light. And from above me, light. Wa min tahti nur. Allahumma a'tini nur. Oh Allah, give me light. So this is a beautiful dua that the person is thinking about that I'm going to the masjid to worship Allah and what do I want from Allah? I want light in my life, the light of guidance, the light of guidance in my heart, my eyes, my ears, everywhere. So the person prepares himself mentally and spiritually. The author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he says, يُسَنُّ الْقِيَامِ in the قَدْ مِنْ إِقَامَتِهَا It's recommended that you stand up when the word Qad, Qad Iqamati Salah is made, Qad, okay? When this is made, this is heard, that's when it's recommended for you to get up. In Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Abu Hurairah, Anna Salah kana tuqam li Rasulullah sallallahu sallam, fayakhudu al-nas masafahum qabla an yaqumu al-Nabi sallallahu sallam maqamahu. That the prayer would be established in the time of the Prophet sallallahu sallam. So the people would get up and they would start to straighten their rows, take their rows before the Prophet ﷺ got up. So the ta'leel, the reasoning from this hadith, as Shaykh Mansur al-Sa'qub, he said, is that the people did it before the iqamah was finished, which means qad qamati salah. At the time of qad qamati salah, that's one of the times where it's recommended for you to get up. Okay? If you get up before that or after that, it's not a problem. However, there's another mannerism which is important pertaining to the iqamah. The Prophet said in Bukhari and Muslim, إِذَا أُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ فَلَا تَقُومُوا حَتَّى تَرَوْنِي If the prayer is established, then do not stand up until you see me. So when the iqamah is given, if the imam is seen, then you stand up at قَدْ قَامَةِ الصَّلَاةِ If the imam is not seen, then you wait for the imam to come and then you stand up for the salah. Out of mannerisms for the imam and respect for the imam. Because if you stand up before he's there, it's like you are telling him, hurry up, get to where you're supposed to be. Okay? So this is from one of the mannerisms of when you should stand up and how you should stand up. The author, he says, وَتَسْوِيَةُ الصَّفْ And also from the mannerisms of the prayer is that you establish the safuf. You correct the rows as the Prophet ﷺ would teach us. In Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ of the hadith of Abi Mas'ud, it's mentioned, كَانَ الرَّسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَمْسَحُ مَنَاكِبِنَا فِي الصَّلَاةِ That the Prophet ﷺ, he would pass us by in the prayer and touch our shoulders. 
ensuring that we were straight in the line. Okay? And the Hanbali scholars, they say that this is sunnah to straighten the rows, and it's not something which is wajib. Why? Because in the hadith of Bukhari of Anas ibn Malik, the Prophet said, Correct your rows, straighten your rows, for verily the straightening of the rows is from the completion of the salah. Min tamami salah. Okay? The ta'leel here is, as mentioned by Shaykh Mansur Sa'qub, is that tamamu shay'amun za'id ala haqiqatihi. That the completion of a thing is above and beyond uh, its reality. So it's already there, and completing it, which is the straightening of the rose, is something above and beyond. So that means it's not a wajib, it's a sunnah. Okay, according to this narration of the Hanbali scholars, based upon that hadith. Other scholars like Imam al rahimullah ta'ala, they said, no, it's wajib. And Shaykh Uthaymin, they said it's wajib. Why? Because if you have in the hadith of Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet said, You're going to establish the rows as they should be established, or Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to differ between your faces, meaning cause a difference in the hearts, make you not love one another and trust one another as you should. It's going to be something which is going to be taken from you. Why? Because you weren't establishing the rows as they're supposed to be established. So what are the, the dawabit, the regulating rules for taswir saf for establishing the safuf? What do you think? Okay, good. So the, the sahaba radiallahu anhum, they used to stand shoulder to shoulder and foot to foot, ankle to ankle. Okay, this is how they used to do it. However, However, this is something that shouldn't be done in a way of harming the person next to you. You shouldn't be doing it like uh, with sternness. So some people, what they do is if the person's moving his foot because he want, doesn't want to do that, they're following his foot and they end up doing the splits. That's not what is sought here. Nor should you be arguing with people over this matter. Okay, if people hold a different opinion, that's well and good because the issue is sunnah. We don't want to cause disunity Okay, because unity is wajib due to a sunnah, right? So it's something which is recommended to do, it's something which is beautiful. If you see the lines close like that, shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot, it's beautiful. And that's how it should be done. But if it's not happening, we don't be stern and we don't cause a commotion over it, right? So the first thing is that That the ulama, they say the first dhabit, the first regulating rule is that you make the, straight, the row as straight as possible. You make the row as straight as possible. The second is That you are close together. So not only is it straight, you are close together to the extent that there's no space between the people. There's no space between the people in terms of their closeness being very strong together. Okay? So this is pertaining to how the saf should be. The author, he says, Allahu Akbar. He says, Allahu Akbar, okay? Because in the hadith of Abi Dawood, Ali radiallahu anhu said that the Prophet sallallahu said, Miftahu salah at-tuhur, wa tahrimuha at-takbir, wa tahliluha at-taslim. That the key to the salah is the purification, making the wudu or the ghusl. Wa tahrimuha 
and making it forbidden, meaning the outside actions like eating, drinking, speaking, forbidden, is the takbir. So once you say the takbir, that's when you're actually in the salah. Everything outside of the salah now becomes forbidden to you. And to make it halal once again for you, the dunya, is to make the taslim. Okay? So the takbir is something which is a rukun. It's something which has to be said. And it's never been reported that the, that the Prophet ﷺ would say another word in place of that. Okay? So Allah, he, the Prophet ﷺ never said, for example, Allahu Azim, which has a similar meaning, but it was never reported to be said in that manner. So it means, Allahu Akbar, when you say it, that Allah is greater than everything. Akbar min kulli shayfi dhatihi wa asma'ihi wa sifatihi. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is greater than everything in his being, in his names and attributes, beautiful names and attributes, their meanings and their effects, and in his characteristics, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So everything about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is great. And that's why when you stand before Allah and you say Allahu Akbar, you bring, those, you bring that understanding to your mind that now I'm standing in front of the one who controls the universe. There's nothing that moves in the universe except with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm standing now in front of the one who is greater than everything else. So any desires that I have from the kings and the queens and those less than them, more so can give it to me is Allah azza wa jal. So you have this feeling that Allah will give it to me and he is able to give it to me and he loves to give it to me. So you have these feelings of understanding what takbir means. And the more you read the Quran and the sunnah, the more you will come to understand the meaning of the takbir. For example, Allah says, Proclaim O Muhammad that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the sovereign owner of everything in creation, is the true king. You are Allah, you give from this kingdom to whom you wish, and you take from it whom you wish. You raise in honor whomsoever you wish. And you bring down in humiliation whomsoever you wish. And your hands is all good and you are over all things able. So when you read verses like this, it really fills your heart with love, with awe in Allah's majesty and trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you come to understand what the takbir means more and more. When you say the takbir, Allahu Akbar, say it clearly. The second Hamza, a lot of people, they miss this out. They say Allahu Akbar. Did you see the difference? Allahu Akbar is how you should say it. They say Allahu Akbar. They put a wow there. There's no wow there. Some of them say Allahu Akbar. They put Hamza to istifham on Allah. Which is making the question, is Allah the greatest? Just by saying Allah. Some of them say, Allahu Akbar, changing the meaning. The kaf, they make it into ghayn, or they make it into a qaf, depending upon their dialects. So people have to be very clear when they pronounce the takbir. Allahu Akbar. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, Al-Hajjawi, he said, Rafi'an yadayhi madmumatay al-asabi'a. Mamdudatan hadwa mankibayhi. That the person, when he makes the takbir, he lifts his hand, that his hands are open, not, not closed, right? His hands are open and not closed. And they're extended, the fingers are extended. So they're not like this, closed, 
Okay, they're, they're, they're not open, they're closed, and the hand is not like this, it's open. Okay, so as I'm doing it, not like this, and not like this. This is what the author is saying. And you make it to the position when you make the takbir to your shoulders. In Bukhari and Muslim, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu said, Kana Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa The Prophet sallallahu used to raise his hands with the takbir until it would reach his shoulders. Okay, until it would reach his shoulders. Now, how do you say the takbir with the raising of the hands? Shaykh Khalid al-Mushayqih, in his explanation, he said there's three different ways. The first of them is that you raise your hands saying Allahu Akbar and you finish the pronunciation and the raising together. So you start the pronunciation with the raising and you finish the pronunciation with the raising. Allahu Akbar, okay? The second of them is to say Allahu Akbar and then raise your hands. The third of them is to raise your hands and then say Allahu Akbar. Okay? So these three ways have been narrated of how the hands should be raised. The ulama, they said that when you're raising the hands, you are representing the meaning that you are removing the veil now between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you're entering into the salah, you are directly there with Allah azawajal, having that quality time, that special conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are removing the veil. The others of them, they said, you are representing the fact that when you're making the takbir like so, you are throwing the dunya behind your backs. So now in the salah, nothing to do with dunya. You're focusing solely on Allah Azza wa Jal and the matters pertaining to the heart and the spiritual progression. You have forgotten about everything outside of the salah. But is that the reality of most of us? Most of us, when we're in the salah, we're thinking of how to solve the problems outside of the salah, right? So really and truly what we need to do is to try to learn and understand the meaning of the words to try to understand what is the purpose of the salah and to try and benefit from this act of worship in the way that Allah Azza wa Jal wants us to benefit. Then the author, he says, sujood, like in the sujood. What does he mean like in the sujood? He means raising of the hands up to the shoulders, like in the sujood, because when you're in the position of the sujood, your hands are like next to your shoulder. So this is what he means, right? Like in the sujood. وَيُسْمِعُ imam مَنْ خَلْفَهُ كَكِرَاعَتِهِ فِي أَوَّلَتَيْ غَيْرِ ظَهْرَيْنِ the person, the Imam, when he makes this takbir, he makes it to the extent that the people behind him can hear him. Okay? Like the recitation in all of the prayers in the first two rakat, apart from dhuhr and asr. Okay? Meaning loudly, audibly, so that the people can hear. The people can hear. In the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, the hadith says, Kana Nabi Yarfa'u. Uh, that the Prophet used to raise his voice with the takbir to the extent that those behind him would be able to hear him so this is something which is recommended that you raise your voice what if the people behind you a few rows further back can't hear you what do you do then yes you're answering Ahsant, there's somebody who will make the tabligh, okay? So somebody in a few rows behind can hear the imam and he knows that the rows further back cannot hear. So he repeats what the imam has said from the takbirat, okay? And if this is done without need, there's no need for you to do it, then it's makru, it's something which is disliked, okay? 
The author, he says, وَغَيْرُهُ نَفْسُهُ And apart from the imam, meaning the munfarid and the ma'mum, when they make the takbir, they should make it to the extent where they themselves can hear it. Where they themselves can hear it, not in the marketplace where there's so much noise, because then you will have to shout. In a natural situation, what you expect when you make the salah. You make the takbir, Allahu Akbar, to the extent that you can hear yourself without making tashwish, without making commotion for the people around you, okay? Sheikh Islam Ibn Taymiyyah from the Hanbali scholars, he said it suffices rather that you move your tongue and you ensure you have said the word, okay? So the author says you have to make it with the extent that you hear yourself. And Ibn Taymiyyah said to the extent that you know that you have moved your tongue with it and that will suffice you. This is pertaining to the takbir and all of the recitation which is wajib from the Surah Al-Fatiha and the Adhkar. Okay, this ruling that we mentioned now is pertaining to those issues. Shaykh Khad al-Mushayqih, he asked the question, he says, what about the masbuk? The masbuk in the salah, the one who came late and missed a raka'ah or two or more with the imam, when he's making up these raka'at, how does he do this? Does he make it quietly or does he make it loudly? Huh? How does he do it? Afwan? Loudly. Loudly, in the loud prayers, right? Yes. And quietly in the quiet prayers, ascent. And also in the loud prayers, he has the choice also. If he wants to do it loudly, he can do it loudly. If he wants to do it quietly, he can do it quietly. But like the brother said, loud in the loud prayers, quiet in the quiet prayers. طيب. Then the person grabs his kaw. The kaw is this bone following the, uh, the thumb. Okay, so basically your wrist. It's another, word of say, another way of describing the wrist. So the person, he grabs his wrist in the salah. Okay, that's where he puts his hands, the author is saying. In Ahmed, Abi Dawood and Ibn Majah, Wa'il ibn Hujr, he said, رَأَيْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم, إِذَا كَانَ قَائِمًا قَبِذَ بِيَمِينِهِ عَلَى شِمَالِهِ I saw the Prophet وسلم, that when he would be standing, he would grab with his uh, right, his left. He would grab with his right hand, the left hand, okay? Shaykh Khalid Mushayqih and others, they mentioned three ways that the hands are held in the salah. Anybody know them? The three different ways possible. The first of them is like the author said, that with the ibham and the sababa, you grab your wrist, okay? So like so, in the salah, okay? This is the first way. But not with your hand hanging down. Okay? So you grab it like so, to the best of your ability, and that's how you pray. The second of them is you get your hand and you put it on top of the other hand. The third of them is that the hand goes on the dhira, on the forearm. Okay? So these are the three ways, and Allah knows best. The author, he says, تَحْتَ surratihi, Underneath his belly button. Because Ahmad, Abi Dawood and Bayhaqi, they narrate from Ali radiallahu anhu, who said, A sunnah, wad'a al-kaf, ala al-kaf, fi salah tahta surra. That the sunnah is to put the hand on top of the hand in the prayer, under the what? Under the belly button. Now you have many other narrations, and many of the madhahib, they have differences of opinions, right? Sheikh 
not Sheikh, astaghfirullah, Imam Al-Hafid Al-Tirmidhi, the great Hadith scholar that we all know, Imam Al-Tirmidhi, who has his Sunnah in Al-Tirmidhi, right? And also Al-Majd Ibn Taymiyyah, the grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, and many other scholars, they said that there is nothing which is authentically established as to where the Prophet ﷺ would place his hands. Right? So each of the narrations pertaining to the actual placement of the hand, is it on the chest? Is it above the navel? Is it below the navel? There's nothing which is established there, as mentioned by Sheikh Ahmed Khalil and others. Therefore, wherever you put your hands is not a problem. It's nothing to argue over. Number one, it's a sunnah. So we said the sunnah doesn't lead to leaving of the wajib. The wajib is what? The unity. The wajib is not to argue with your brothers and to fight and to hate one another because you are putting your hands different to your brother is putting them. This is ridiculous, right? If you feel you have the correct opinion, teach in the best of manners. But no arguing and no upsetting one another. Why? Because this is how the ulama, the imams before us, this is how they understood the situation. They would have an opinion, but they knew it's sunnah, so they wouldn't force people to their opinion. So this is what I'm trying to say here, that we shouldn't fight over the issue. So the author is saying it's under, where? It's under the belly button, right? And we said that the other opinion in the madhab is that you have the choice. You can put it wherever you want to put it. And this was held also by Majd ibn Taymiyyah and Imam al-Tirmidhi and others. The author, he says, وَيَنْظُرُوا مَسْجِدَهُ And he looks at his masjid. Now, if you didn't know the basics of Arabic, you would make yourself dizzy looking around the masjid. Because he said, look at the masjid, right? But we know that he means here the place of prostration, the place of sujood. That is where you want to be looking at. Why do you think you want to look at the place of sujood? Exactly, because apart from it being sunnah that the Prophet ﷺ used to do this, as mentioned in the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim, that like the brother mentioned, it helps you in your khushu. That if you look at the place of sujood, it's something which is known to help you in khushu. Tayyib, what about somebody who closes their eyes in the salah and he doesn't look at the place of sujood? So the brother mentioned the first part, I agree with that if there's something that is disturbing you, as Ibn Qayyim in Zad al-Ma'ad, he mentioned, uh, that if something is disturbing you and taking from your khushu, like some of the massages you go to, it's like the most crazy patterns on the, on the carpet, there's no way you can concentrate. You lose yourself inside those patterns. So there, if it's extremely difficult, you are allowed to close your eyes. Otherwise, it's makruh. Why? Because it's from what the Yahud do and used to do in their prayers. Close their eyes, okay? And uh, so the sunnah is to keep your eyes open, especially if you have a reason to keep your eyes open. Like, apart from being in the salah, there may be something you want to keep an eye on, which is in the direction of the qibla, okay? Which is something to what the brother was alluding. So you can close your eyes if it's distracting you, yes. Yes, so the brother is asking a side question about how to concentrate with khushu in the salah. Now this is a topic in itself, because the most important thing is, Preparing before you come to the salah. The wudu, from the time of the wudu, you're thinking about what you're going to do, who you're going to stand before. When you come to the salah, you think deeply about the words you are reciting. But if you still have the shaitan is continually whispering to you, then on your left, you're supposed to uh, spit, not real spit, but making the motion three times on the left. And this, as you're doing the salah, like this, but not actual spit, yeah, because your friend will slap you. Yeah, yeah. Barakallah feek. Hayakallah. Welcome, inshallah. Welcome. 
So we come to the point where the author, he says, ثُمَّ يَقُولْ سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ وَتَبَارُكَ اسْمُكَ وَتَعَالُ جَدُّكَ وَلَا إِلَهَ غَيْرُكَ So this is known as Dua al-Istiftah. Okay, the opening duas of the Salah. And Aisha narrated this particular one in Abi Dawood, Tirmidhi, Ibn Majah. So when you say Subhanak, what does it mean? Subhanak Allahumma. Close, glory to God. Subhan is tanzih. Tanzih Allah min kulli naqs. Is to remove Allah Azza wa Jal from any deficiency. So you are establishing that Allah is perfect in everything about him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And nothing of deficiency is associated with Allah Azza wa Jal. So it's as though you are glorifying Allah Azza wa Jal, subhanahu. Subhanak Allahumma wa bihamdik with your praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa tabarak asmuk tabarak asmuk your name is full of baraka your name is full of baraka wa ta'ala jadduk ta'ala jadduk your power and your might is high okay your power your might your sovereignty your ability is high and mighty wa la ilaha ghayruk and there's none that deserves to be associated with you none can be worshipped beside you uh, in worship okay so the ulama, they say, you should try to learn other du'as also. Why? Not just this du'a al-istiftah, there's many others, as you know. Why do you think you should learn more than one? Exactly, so it doesn't become um, habitual. It doesn't become habitual, right? You want to be engaged with your act of worship. So if you have more du'as that you can choose from, every week you choose a different du'a, right? Then you're going to be more enjoying your worship, more engaged in your worship. And also, it's protecting the sunnah. If all the people just learn one dua, that the sunnah is going to disappear. So the more we make tanawa, the more we make difference of different duas which are established authentic, then this is preservation of the sunnah. Uh, Sheikh Hamad al-Hamad, he mentions that in Salat al-Tarawih, the sunnah, or it's recommended that in the first two units, you make the dua al-istiftah. In the rest of the tarawih, you don't do so. Okay? This is the opinion of the madhab. The author says, ثُمَّ يستعيد. Then you seek refuge. Refuge in Allah from the shaytan. فَإِذَا قَرَأْتَ الْقُرْآنَ فَاسْتَعِدْ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Okay, in Surah Al-Nahl. Whenever you read the Qur'an, then seek refuge in Allah from the accursed shaytan. In the hadith of Abi Sa'id, it says, أَنَّ النَّبِي صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ إِذَا قَامَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ إِسْتَفْتَحَا ثُم this is in Abi Dawood and Tirmidhi, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he used to stand for the salah, he would make the dua al-istiftah, then he would make this refuge, seeking refuge al-isti'adha by saying, أعوذ بالله السميع العليم السميع, the one who hears everything. Al-Alim, the one who is knowledgeable over all matters. Nothing escapes his knowledge, okay? من الشيطان الرجيم Now there's three ways which are reported. The first of them, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم, which we all know. And this is the most popular one, right? The second of them, أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم. The third of them, أعوذ بالله السميع العليم من الشيطان الرجيم ونفثه ونفخه من حمزه ونفخه ونفثه. Okay? So the end part here, من حمزه Hams is like you are touched by the devil. You are touched by a jinn, right? A type of possession where it can give you some type of insanity or some type of possession. So that's Hams. You're seeking refuge in Allah from that. Nafkh 
you are seeking refuge in Allah from becoming haughty and proud. Okay? Nafth, nafth, the last of them, min nafthihi, is that you are seeking refuge from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that He gives you these feelings of depression and sad feelings and horrible feelings. Okay? So these are the three ways. What is the rajim? We say shaitan al-rajim. What does rajim mean? Rajim comes from rajim. Ibrahim islam and Ismail islam they threw stones at shaitan when shaitan came to tempt them. So the word rajim is from the one who was stoned. Okay? Repeatedly. How many times do you say this in the salah? The humble scholars, they say, the humble scholars and the majority, they say, you say it once. Okay? In the beginning of the salah. Okay, Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala and Imam Shafi'i, they say you make it for every raka'ah. Every time you recite Surah Al-Fatiha, based upon the verse, if you read the Quran, then seek refuge in Allah, then you make isti'adha. Okay, but the madhab, once. Okay, but Ibn Taymiyyah, Imam Shafi'i, they said for each raka'ah. ثُمَّ يُبَسْمِلْ The author says, then you say the basmala, Bismillah rahman rahim Sirran. Quietly, not loudly. Imam Ahmed, he collects from Anas radiallahu anhu, who said, Suraytu khalfan nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa abi bakrin, wa umara, wa uthmana, falam asma ahadam minhum, yajharu bi bismillahi rahmani rahim. He said, I prayed behind the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Abu Bakr, and Umar, and Uthman, and I never heard any of them say bismillahi rahmani rahim loudly. Okay? So this is an evidence that it shouldn't be said loudly. وَلَيْسَتْ مِنَ الْفَاتِحَةِ And it's not from Surah Al-Fatiha, the Basmala, to say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. It's a separate ayah. Because in Sahih Muslim, in the long hadith, Hadith Al-Qudsi, the Prophet Sallallahu said that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala said, قَصَمْتُ الصَّلَاةِ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ عَبْدِ نِسْفَيْنِ I have divided the prayer between me and my slave into two parts. فَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Then Allah says My slave has praised me وَإِذَا قَالَ رَحْمَانِ الرَّحِيمِ قَالَ أَثْنَ عَلَيَّ عَبْدِي Then Allah says after Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim That my slave has, has uh, extolled my virtues وَإِذَا قَالَ مَالِكِ يَوْمِ الدِّينِ قَالَ اللَّهُ أَزَّ وَالْجَلِ مَجَّدًا يَعْبْدِي That my slave has extolled how royal and majestic I am Okay وَإِذَا قَالَ إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ Allah says, This is between me and my slave, and my slave will get what he wishes. And he, if he recites the rest of the surah to the end, then Allah says, This is for my slave, and my slave will get what he wants. So you see here, as a side point, it's a conversation between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what's supposed to be taking place. Not a daydream. Not that you don't know what you're saying. You have to... Ensure that you know the meanings of Surah Al-Fatiha. So you understand what's going on in this conversation. Taib, the author said, it's not from Fatiha, and I gave you this narration as a proof. What's the proof in the narration? That the Basmalah is not from the Fatiha? It started with Alhamd, because the Basmalah was not mentioned in this hadith. So that's the Wajhud Dalala. The author, he says, ثُمَّ يَقْرَأُ الْفَاتِحَةِ And then after saying the Basmalah, the person has to recite the Fatiha. Okay? The Imam and the Munfarid. It's obligatory, a rukan, upon the Imam and the one who is praying alone. The Ma'mum, the one who is following, there's a difference of opinion, and we will come to this discussion when we talk about the Salat al Jama'ah and the rulings pertaining to that. Okay? 
The Prophet وسلم, as in Bukhari and Muslim said, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بأم القرآن There is no prayer for the one who doesn't recite أم القرآن, meaning Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay, so it's something which has to be done. Shaykh Khalid Mushaykh mentions, what if one doesn't, hasn't memorized Surah Al-Fatiha? What does he do? If you haven't memorized Surah Al-Fatiha, a person, but he's memorized or she has memorized part of it, then they recite what they have memorized from the surah without tikrar. They don't have to keep repeating that part. They just recite whatever they've learned. If they haven't learned anything from Surah Al-Fatiha, but they have some other Qur'an, like Surah Al-Ikhlas, they recite Surah Al-Ikhlas instead. And this is all until they learn, of course. Doesn't mean that they, okay, I don't know it, I'm not going to learn, no. The third situation, the person doesn't know Surah Al-Fatiha, nor does he know any Qur'an. Here he says, here he says, Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, wa la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Okay? As the Prophet taught one of the companions who said, I have nothing from the Quran. What should I say in the Salah? Okay? So these are the three situations pertaining to, pertaining to Surah Al-Fatiha and its recitation. The author, he says, فَإِنْ قَطَعْهَا بِذِكْرٍ أَوْ سَكُوتٍ غَيْرِ مُشْرُعَيْنِ وَطَالٍ أو ترك منها تشديدة أو حرفا أو ترتيبا لزم غير معمون إعادتها. The author he says if the person reciting Surah Al-Fatiha breaks it with a dhikr which is not from it, not from the salah, okay, or is not legislated, or he breaks the Surah Al-Fatiha by having a silence which is long. So the first case he says words which are not from Surah Al-Fatiha and not legislated, right? Or he has a long silence. He breaks up the surah for some strange reason and has a long silence, okay? Or he leaves from it a shadda. You know the shadda, right? The squiggly line on one of the letters which indicates that there's actually two letters there. But it's got a shadda, okay? Or he leaves off a letter or he leaves off the tartib, the order of Surah Al-Fatiha. Then he has to, the imam has to repeat it. Or the munfarid. The Imam has to repeat it or the Munfarid, right? But not the one who is Ma'moom, not the one who is a follower of the Imam. So first thing, we said that there cannot be any dhikr in the Surah Al-Fatiha. The exception is, for example, if you're saying, uh, if you're reading Surah Al-Ladina An'amta Alayhim, Oh Allah, make me upon the path of those whom you favored, right? Who you gave guidance to. Then you can make a dua at that point. You could say, Allahumma jalni minhum. So whenever there's a fadl of Allah being mentioned in Surah Al-Fatiha, you can ask Allah from that fadl. Okay, you can say, oh Allah, make me from them. That's allowed. Also, for example, if you sneezed, it's allowed to say Alhamdulillah whilst reciting Surah Al-Fatiha. Tayyib. The author, he mentioned the danger of leaving out a shadda or leaving out a letter. Millions of Muslims sadly do this because they don't spend time to learn how to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. So either their pronunciation of the letters is incorrect is not what is found in Surah Al-Fatiha, or they're leaving out a shadda where the shadda should be. How many tashdeed should there be in Surah Al-Fatiha? Anybody know? 11. There should be 11. There's 11 places where you have shadda in Surah Al-Fatiha. So you have to know these, you have to spend time with the shaykh how to pronounce it. Otherwise, the salah can be invalid. So he said, لَزِمَا غَيْرَ مَعْمُومِ if these things happen in the Salah, in the Surah Al-Fatiha, yani the person breaks it or he doesn't know how to recite it properly, then he has to repeat his Salah because the Salah is not valid, okay? Except for the Ma'moom, except for the one who is praying behind the Imam. Why this exception? 
Why this exception? No. Anybody else? So the ma'mum, the one who's praying behind the imam, meaning the one who's following the imam. So if the imam makes a mistake, or the, the person himself makes a mistake, he doesn't have to repeat it. Why? Because the imam is responsible for the recitation of the one following. Okay? This is the author's opinion. The, the imam, he is, takes the responsibility for the one who is following him. Therefore, any mistakes made in the recitation of the person behind the imam is covered by the imam's recitation. Tayyib. وَيَجْهَرُوا الْقُلْبِ الْآمِينَ فِي الْجَهْرِيَّةِ And all of them, they say Ameen loudly in the loud salah. Ameen. What does Ameen mean? Huh? Yeah. Our Allah answer, Allahumma stajib. You are making a dua that our Allah, please answer. Okay? Answer this dua. The dua which is made in Surah Al-Fatiha. If you put a shadda on the meme, you say Ameen, it changes the meaning. It comes a meaning of seeking something out, like in Surah Al-Ma'idah, وَلَا آمِينَ الْبَيْتَ الْحَرَامِ So with the shadda, the meaning is changed. Don't say a shadda on Ameen, it will make your salah invalid because you have changed the meaning of the salah. طيب. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu narrates in Bukhari and Muslim that the Prophet sallallahu said, إِذَا أَمَّنَ الْإِيمَامِ فَأَمِّنُوا فَإِنَّهُ مَنْ وَافَقَ تَأْمِينُهُ تَأْمِينَ الْمَلَائِكَةِ غُفِرَ لَهُ مَا تَقَدَّمَ مِنْ ذَنْبِهِ The Prophet sallallahu said in this narration in Bukhari and Muslim that if the Imam makes the Ameen or when the Imam makes the Ameen then you also say Ameen because whoever's Ameen coincides with that of the angels, then his previous sins are forgiven. Okay, such a huge virtue. While Ibn Hujr, he narrates in Abi Dawood, he said, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ سَلَمْ إِذَا قَرَأَ وَلَا الضَّالِينَ قَالَ آمِينَ وَرَفَعَ بِهَا صَوْتَهُ That the Prophet ﷺ would say, آمِينَ after وَلَا الضَّالِينَ And he would raise his voice. Okay, so it's something which is well established in the Sunnah to raise your voice by saying, آمِينَ ثُمَّ يَقْرَأُ بَعْدَهَا سُورَةً after Surah Al-Fatiha, you recite a surah. Tayyib. Uh, Sheikh Mansur Sa'qub, he said that the recitation of a surah can be divided over the two rak'at if the person wants to, to, to do so. In fact, even the person can recite only one ayah in a rak'at if he wishes to do so. Like Ayatul Kursi, for example. However, this is not from the uh, habit of the Prophet from the habit of the Prophet the most reported habit is that he would complete a surah in a rak'ah. So that is the one that should be followed. However, if somebody breaks it once in a while, then it's okay. Or if they do one uh, ayah in a rak'ah, then that is okay. So what did the author, he said, ثُمَّ يَقْرَعُوا بَعْدَهَا سُورَةً Then, ثُمَّ, he reads after Fatiha a surah. Shaykh Khadil al-Mushaykh, he says this ثُمَّ gives the meaning of tartib and tarakhi. Tartib is that in order, Okay, so after Fatiha is done, then the surah comes, and tarakhi means that there can be a delay. So he said this indicates, the word of the use thumma indicates that there should be a pause between Fatiha and the surah. So he says that it's recommended for the imam or the one praying to have thalatha sakatat, to have three pauses. The first of these pauses is before between the Takbirat al-Ihram and the Surah al-Fatiha. The second of these pauses 
is after reciting Surah Al-Fatiha and going to the next Surah. The third of the pauses is after reciting the Surah and going to the Ruku. These are the three recommended pauses that should be there. What do you think is the wisdom of having these pauses? Number one, tranquility. So it's kind of associated to that. The person allows himself to catch his breath. This is the one of them. The second of them allows him to think which surah he wants to recite next. Okay. And the third of them, he differentiates between that which is wajib, obligatory, the rukun, which is surah al-fatiha, and that which is sunnah, recitation, which is the surah which comes after it. Okay. This is what the scholars mentioned. تَكُونُ فِي صُبْحِ مِنْ تِوَالِ الْمُفَصِّلِ The last sentence we'll take, a few sentences, that in the morning prayer, it's from the tiwal al-mufassal. Al-mufassal suwar, these suwar which I call al-mufassal, is from Surah Al-Qaf until Surah Al-Nas. Okay? From Surah Al-Qaf until Surah Al-Nas. The tiwal of them, the long of them, al-mufassal, is the category which is from Qaf to Amma. Okay? And the middle category is from Amma to Duha. And this, the Qisar, the small category, is from Duha to Nas. Okay? So the author is saying here, Takunu fi subh in the morning prayer, the Fajr, is from the long of these Mufassal. Any surah from Qaf to Amma, any of these surah. Okay? Wufi al-Maghrib min qisarihi. And Salat al-Maghrib, it should be from the short, from Duha to Nas. Wufi al-Baqi min awsatihi. And from the rest of the prayers, from the middle level, which is from Amma to Duha. وَلَا تَصِحَّ أُصَلَاءَ بِقِرَاءَةٍ خَارِجَةٍ الْمُصْحَفِ أُثْمَانٍ And if somebody prays with a recitation which is not found in the Mus'haf of Uthman, then his salah is not valid according to the opinion of the author. Okay? He's saying the salah is not valid by reciting the other recitations apart from that of the Mus'haf of Uthman. However, many of the scholars, including Ibn Taymiyyah and another riwayah of Imam Ahmad, they said it's allowed if the rewire, if the narration is authentic, if it's an authentic recitation, however it's makru, it's disliked. So if the person did it, his salah is valid, however he's done something which is makru. One of the reasons for it being makru is that now the people were united upon the mushaf of Uthman as being the authentic version of the Qur'an. So the people who don't have the knowledge, they will become confused with this, what is this different recitation that is taking place. So that is one of the reasons why it's makru. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us understanding of this great act of worship and anything which was correct was from Allah azawajal. Mistakes and shortcomings from myself and shaitan. If you have any questions, then feel free. I ask Allah azawajal to make this heavy in our scale of good deeds. Ameen.